we call this an unfiltered look because sometimes we gloss over how beautiful things are, right? But there's the nitty-gritty, and the people who started the church were just as human as you and I are. And today, we're going to be looking at a piece of scripture that it's encouraging to me, and it's also challenging, because we're going to look at how the believers interacted together, how they supported one another. And I'm very excited because to help us dig into the message today, we have two friends of ours. And you may not know it, but they've been a part of Echo Church for years. But they live in Pakistan, and they're one of the missionaries that we support. And so today, Sam and Brittany are going to share a bit about what they do and the community of believers that they are trying to encourage as we look at how Acts 4 is lived out. So Acts 4 is where we're going to be today. This is actually the end of a story we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now. Two weeks ago, I got to begin this story by talking about Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, and it was their first time doing a miracle on their own. Jesus was gone back to heaven, and the Holy Spirit guided them to heal a man who had never walked. For four decades he lived, and he could never walk, and they healed him in Jesus' name. And they did it at the temple, and tons of people saw. And because they were very adamant about this was done for the glory of Jesus, they got in trouble. And last week, Steve talked about how the two of them were arrested. They were called idiots by the religious leaders of the time. And they were told, do not speak about Jesus again. And Peter and John were like, yeah, not going to happen. We're going to keep talking about him. So now they go back to the rest of the church, these believers here in the first century. And then this is what happens. They told them the story. We were arrested. We healed a guy. We talked about Jesus. We were put in jail for a night. What did the believers do for them? They prayed. There's blue Bibles in your pew, and we are on page 773 this morning, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. So Peter and John go back, and they, I don't know how it would feel. I've never been arrested. I don't know how that would feel to be confronted, to be doing something that you finally, you've been trained to do. You speak in Jesus' name out of passion, out of love for God, and no one wants to hear it. How would that feel? So they came back, and the believers surrounded them, supported them, and they just prayed. They prayed Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then scrolling down, we're going to read on the screen here. I want us to look at the specific words of this prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now we said that the Holy Spirit, that's the star of this book of Acts. Humans are pretty frail and are going to make a lot of mistakes. But God showed up on earth as Jesus, and when Jesus went back to heaven, his presence came to earth as the Holy Spirit. 
still with us today. It's mysterious how it works. I know that perhaps you feel at times where things have worked out well, or you feel a sense or a conviction on your heart, and we discern whether, is that the Holy Spirit giving us guidance? And it's, it's probably baffling to think, okay, well, this was, this was back in the first church times, right? They prayed, and the Holy Spirit shook the place. That same Spirit is here today. And sometimes we neglect to think that the power of God Almighty that we read about that did amazing miracles in the Bible is still on earth, is still present in our lives. And you know what? Maybe we just haven't asked for the kind of boldness that these first church believers have asked for. But you know two people who have asked for God's boldness Sam and Brittany Gill. Why don't you guys come up and I'll introduce you. And their oldest daughter is with us because she wants to hang out with the big kids today. This is Amelia. Now, I have to tell you, Sam came to Cincinnati originally before he and Brittany were married and was going to seminary at Cincinnati Christian University and started coming to Echo Church when we met up the street here in a building two buildings ago. We've moved twice since. Now, when they got married, our hearts were excited because they were going back to Sam's homeland of Pakistan to minister in Jesus' name. And so Echo has been supporting them, encouraging them, and sending funds to them ever since they had ministry over there. So whether you know it or not, they've been a part of this church, and we're glad that some of you are getting to meet them for the first time today. Now, I know that you all live in a country that is, has very few Christians, and so you have to speak boldly. So I would love to hear a story about how you speak boldly in order to share Jesus' name in Pakistan. If you want to sit or you stand, either one. Okay. So yeah, I don't know how many of you know about um, Pakistan very well. It's an um, Islamic country. Uh, it has 197 million people. And out of uh, 197 million, 3% are Christian people, which means 4 or 5 million Christian people they're living over there. Could be more, but Pakistani government just always want to show the statistics lower than uh, they are. So they can tell the international kind of the, uh, people, you know, we have very few Christian people. We have maybe, could, we could be more than four or five percent. And how many churches have you all started uh, in we, Pakistan? So far we have three churches. And lately, we just started a fourth church. So when I will be back, then we will have a nice inauguration of that church over there. And this is, um, in the background as he's talking, are some pictures of a worship service at one of their churches. So yeah, definitely the passage, uh, Sister um, uh, Kelly, she just read, is very uh, much close to uh, our home. And when you are over there, then you can really see a live book of Acts over there. And you see the power of God and Holy Spirit over there. You, know, you can see the miracles over there. And I know it's hard sometimes in America when you have so many resources and facilities, it's hard to see the God's hand in our lives. Now, I will have a picture, some pictures, if you want to scroll through, Dylan. Um, one of your other ministry, ministers over there who helps with lead the churches. And then there's a following some photos of some people getting baptized. Now, what I would love to hear you share is, 
You know, when we talk about trying to share Jesus with our friends here, you know, what would make someone be bold enough to live in a country where most of the people don't believe in Jesus? What has changed, you know, give us a story of one of these baptisms and what changed their heart to want to be baptized. Sure. The, the one person, um, uh, Brother Joe must know that person, Shafi. Uh, he came from a very messed up background. The village he came from, um, and started to live in a town where I just started church and I was still in the college, could be 19 or maybe 20. And he used to sell drugs and had a small shop and always young kids there hanging around his shop. So whenever I pass by, I always ask her, Shafi, would you like to come to church? He always tell me, okay, yeah, I will come. And I know he's, he, he, he will not come, he wouldn't come. But I keep asking and once he showed up in the church and he heard the message and he said, you know, I want to give my life to Jesus, you know. I know what Jesus did for me. And um, he just got baptized and he told me a very interesting thing and it's really shocked me. He said, I want to go back to my village where I used to be a robber and thief and I do all kind of bad things. I want to go back. I want to be a light for those people. I just want to tell them God had totally transformed me. And he literally went over and now we have a church building and he is the lead pastor over there. So that is the one story. We have so many other stories. And uh, so a lot of people, they come and they know because 3%, being a 3%, living with the 97% Muslim people, it's not easy. Mm. And when they see how God protect them and save them and put his shield around them, it's, it's not difficult for them to see, you know, God, I mean, there is something, there is some power and there is God who is really protecting us from those people. Otherwise, being a 3% and living among the 97% Muslims is impossible. They can make your life really terrible and make you to think, I don't want to live in this country. Mm. So they are bold, they are very passionate, and so many times the Pakistani government or they got some radical Muslim people, they told them, we don't want you to talk about Christ. Mm. And they still keep talking about it. And it's very close to the passage you read about it. Wonderful. <clears throat> well, Joe actually went over to Pakistan in 2011, I believe it was. And so he has been there to see their ministry in person. And I wanted him to come pray for Sam and Brittany, if you want to stand by them. Absolutely. And I would just want you to pray for their boldness. And the boldness of the people who were there telling about Jesus. Because it takes a lot of courage to live for Jesus in Pakistan. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for a chance to be with my, my favorite people. These are my, they're the people I look up to, and there are very few of those, but uh, these folks are just wonderful, and I thank you for the ministry you've given them. Lord, um, what we, we humble Christians in, in America refer to as uh, adventure and danger and fear and trembling and threats and, and punishment and possible imprisonment. Uh, my friends here refer to as uh, Tuesday. So, Lord, I just thank you that you're here for them. And I thank you for the, I just thank you for the heart. Lord, I thank you for the spirit you've imparted within them. I thank you for the, the, the boldness and the, the strength to share your good news in a place that's so lost. Lord, uh, I thank you that you're going to give them the same 
spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I pray you'd raise us up, Lord, and help us in these last times to also be witnesses. I thank you again for what you're going to do for the mighty church in Pakistan. It stands strong and will continue to shine your light in a dark world. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for their family. I thank you for the protection, the divine protection you grant. And I thank you for this moment together. May you open our ears. May the words they share uh, ignite fires within us, Lord, that we will continue to pray and to follow and to make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name. We're going to read another section of scripture. So after the believers prayed, we find out something else that they did. I'm going to have you hold this for now. Thank you. We're going to look to the next section of our chapter 4 here, verses 32 through 34. Let me read this for us. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. One of the things that I find so moving about reading about the first church was just that declaration. There was no people in need because they took care of each other. And I think that that's what draws us together sometimes as a church, right? When we have a need, we know we can call on one another. I know I've called on you all, and I know we can lean on one another. And one of the things is, is to, to anticipate our needs, right? When we are in a disciple group, small groups, just like you all have in Pakistan, when we meet together and worship and we have conversations with one another, we find out about each other's needs, and we try to anticipate that. And we pray for one another. And we try to share what we have. Now, sometimes we think, well, I don't have a lot. But sometimes it's not just financial resources. But what I really love is one of the newer ministries that I've seen in the past couple of years that you all have done in Pakistan is a sewing center for women. And we're going to share a video with you all, the link to it in our next email, that will describe the situation for some of the women over there. When you're not able to financially support your family, when you come from a situation where you don't have education and you can't get a high-level job, many times you are stuck with the jobs that are given to you. And in those situations, women especially can be vulnerable. They can be vulnerable to trafficking. <clears throat> they can be forced into marriage. They can be abused. And so one of the things that Sam and Brittany observed was it was more about just than sharing resources, they could share knowledge and skills. So I would love for you, Brittany, can you tell us a little bit about the Women's Sewing Center that we see here? Sure. This is one of the many projects that we have going on, and it's a wonderful project. And I'm, I'm very, very proud of my husband, Sam, for all the work that he does and for our local team that runs the ministry while we're gone as well. And this has been an incredible ministry to the women and especially to the community that has not learned how to read and write. Um, literacy is a big problem in Pakistan, and it's probably something we take for granted here in America because, you know, such a high percentage of people, that it's so easy to get high school degree here. But in Pakistan, there's um, larger numbers of people who really never learned how to read and write. And uh, education is practically life and death over there. If you really don't have education, you can't get a good job. And that means you're going to have a miserable future for your family 
and your the, the kind of job you can have is very limited. And so especially for a woman, uh, if she's in that kind of a state, she really can't really have, it's not easy for her to have any job except to be a maid at somebody else's home. And that can be a really dangerous situation, especially for a young Christian girl, because Christians are 3% of the population and live under that oppression. And poor people are not treated very well in Pakistan, which is really very hard. Um, so if a Christian girl goes to work in a Muslim family, she can be you know, subject to abuse and all kinds of things. And really, it's hard for her to speak up for her rights because the family she's working for, they've got money and resources and it's a big problem. So what that's, that's basically what um, fueled the idea for the sewing center was to help that situation for women who haven't had a chance to get, get very much education or have many job opportunities, they can learn a trade, which is sewing. And our sewing center is kind of like a training, it's a training course where they go and they get a certificate and agree, a degree at the end. And then they're able to go and start their own businesses from home. And this has been an incredible ministry among even the Muslim women. So we've had Mus a lot of Muslim women in our sewing center. And we've had incredible testimonials. In fact, we filmed a video on it. And I think it's on our YouTube page. But it, we have got a lot of videos now. And we just made two documentary videos right before coming here. Just a lot of wonderful stories. But these women have had incredible testimonies of how it's changed their life. And they can now they can earn money for themselves by doing their sewing businesses from home, earn money for their families and help their families out through some very tough times. And even the teacher who teaches that group of ladies, she said that from her salary, it's really just transformed her whole home life. And that's been really great to see that. And these ladies are just fantastic. They're enthusiastic. And so I'm, I'm very, very, um, I'm very proud of that project. And also there was a couple from Oklahoma that gave a very nice, generous amount to help us get that sewing center up and running. So we named the sewing center after them. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Kristen, I would wanted to get someone to come pray for uh, the women in your sewing center. And so Kristen's going to pray for that ministry. God, thank you so much for Sam and Brittany's heart for these women and for um, just their willingness to take action. Um, it's easy to... Uh, think we support things that not do do something and I thank you that they have been moved to action and I thank you for the sewing center and I thank you for the women that you've brought to them and to this uh, opportunity and I pray Lord that you would bless every part of it God that your hand would be upon it that you would protect these ladies and that you would um, just guard them and I pray that you would uh, not only bless them through this but it sounds like Already you are blessing others in the community, and I pray that ultimately that it would just lead people to you, that it would um, bring you glory, and um, I just thank you again for these ladies and for this opportunity that they've been given, and pray that you would just continue to help them and help their families and um, bless them in every way. Amen. Thanks, Brittany. We're at the final verses of chapter four today, and again very powerful as we see another way that the believers sacrificed for one another. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as they had need. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What a story that is. That's not just giving, that's sacrificial giving. To not just say, oh, look at the extra that I have, but to see a need and to take action. To say, I'm going to go sell something in order to get the resources to help this fellow sister and brother in need. And I just want to let you all know that we are grateful to be a body of believers and I know that you all give sacrificially here because how we move and minister, how we pay rent for this building, how we can partner with the Douglas Elementary School up the street, how we can give around the world. There are seven missions organizations that we support at Echo Church. Every single time you give something, Pakistan is blessed. So you all are a part of this ministry. And that is why we're excited to hear what's going on. Because the money we give means so much. And I want Sam to tell a final story for us. Because another big part of their ministry that they have a really big need for right now is their school. And you heard Brittany share a bit about how important education is. And so I'd like Sam to tell us about the school that you've been able to establish and how it's been growing and the current needs there. Go ahead. Yes. When I started this school, before even coming to America, we have only nine or ten students, only one teacher. Brother Joe already visited that school. It was just in one, we just in the one room. Um, then we started to get some support from brother and sister like you. And I want to tell you, I don't want to forget, Echo Church has been a great church for our mission. Even my MD, when I was doing the MD at Cincinnati Christian University, your church played a crucial role in it. So I'm very, very thankful to you. And still your support making a big difference. Why school is so important in, 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 in Pakistan? Because I grown up over there. I'd never been in a Christian school when I was in Pakistan. And so many times in, in college and school, I've been discriminated, uh, discriminated by the teachers and the students. Uh, even when I was a very little young kid, you know, they always tell me, you're a Christian, you're a brown-skinned kid, you know. And sometimes teachers literally tell me, you're not supposed to be in the school. You should find some kind of a job. Tell your parents, you know, education is not for Christian people. And after a long time, I met that teacher, and she just, you know, shocked and could be, could be get a heart attack when she saw me. I've been in America, and I got education from America, too, and all the kids she was praising, none of them succeeded, and they all have barber shop and something. They're running around. So I realize education can really elevate you among the Muslim country. And when you have an education, Muslim people started to depend on you. You become the need of them, and they started to treat you well, started to show respect for you. And that is the mindset I had, and I started school. Now we have 120 students in our school. Definitely your sport is also working in it. We have staff, we have more than one room, we have six or seven rooms, we have a principal, we have four or five teachers over there, we have sewing centers. So the building we are meeting, that building is not a great building for the students because we don't have a clean water. When you open the tap of the water 
and you can literally smell the sewer water smell in it. And some kids literally drink it. And I told you, I don't want them to drink this water. I know you can drink it at your home. At least I want to stop you not to drink this water. So I told them, bring the uh, bottles, clean water, bottles with you, and drink water over here. Don't use those uh, taps, and they can really kill you. And a lot of people, they have a lot of diseases. A lot of kids, they come with a lot of very serious kind of the diseases. So we decided to move the schools to a better building. And we also always mention in our newsletter, if we can't buy a building, at least we can rent it a good building. And the main goal of moving the school over there, because we are not getting much student as much we want, because infrastructure, the roads are not very good for the student to get to our school. We don't have transportation, we, we don't have enough resources. So we want to keep those students and want to move to the nice building where we can get rich Muslim students. And those rich Muslim students will pay more than uh, we can even expect. I mean, we can even charge three to $400 a month, and that can make a big difference and make our school self-sufficient. Self and with their money, we want to accommodate a lot of Christian students. And that the project, intermediate project we are working on, actually the main project is $600,000. A lot of people, they just get, get surprised, 600000 what do you want to do with $600,000 in Pakistan? I want to tell you. Pakistan is a very rich country. Christian people, they have a hard time, but Muslim people have tons of money. And $600,000 is not a big money at all for America. I'm not talking about one person. If we collect together and we work together, it's not a big goal. In America, any project, when you start, it starts with the millions of dollars. You cannot start any project with $600,000. $600, so, so far, we raised pretty much $150,000. When we have $200,000, we can even buy a building, and we can move all those kids to that building. And I know we are, are able. I'm not asking some people. They are not able. We are able to do that. We have a lot of family friends. We have relatives. We have very resourceful people. They're living even in $600,000 homes. It means if you're living in the $600,000 home, you can be a pretty good resource for those people, and you can bless so many people over there. So we're working on, a, on this target, and later we heard one guy, he told us, I can help you to get to this $200,000 so you can have a building. So keep this person in your prayers, and it doesn't mean because that person is doing, that's why you, okay, that, that's nice, we don't need to do anything. You can still do, because we have still $400,000 to get three-acre land where we can run sewing center, we can run adult education, we can do... Uh, Bible college, we're still doing a Bible college work over there. So, I mean, God has blessed you so much. You may feel sometimes I can't do anything. I'm very ungrateful to be in America. I can tell you when you look on those people, you will be grateful to God, and you will be more generous, and you will find out your little sport really making a great difference into the life of so many people. And education is the only way we can uplift Christian people in Pakistan, and there will be time if we will be sincere and faithful and, and generous, we can even dominate Islamic country by the evangelism. I'm going to have Seth close in prayer as we reconsider the, the school and the education and the future, future generations of Jesus followers in Pakistan. And I also want to let you know that after church today, if you'd like to walk across the skyline with us and get to know Sam and Brittany a little bit more, I just want to... Um, enjoy time with them a little bit longer today. So in the entire time that you were up here, I don't know about you guys, but like I really felt the passion 
for the school project. Like it came through really clearly. And um, for, you know, I've not been to Pakistan. I have been to Kenya and I've seen the effect that a school can have on a community. And particularly in places of extreme poverty and um, places that are, aren't being properly resourced. And first of all, I just want to thank you for being here and for, yeah, and, um, and to thank you for that ministry and, um, and we'll pray for you and, and your family and, um, and people, you'll be downstairs. You, you have a ton of material downstairs for people. Yeah, I, I have a few, uh, few brochures when you go down and just in front of you on the round table, a specified round table, there will be uh, some literature over black and white and colored. Uh, newsletter, very nice newsletter. You can you can take it with you. I mean, I'm very generous. Take it as much as you want, and read it and pray about it. Do you have a website or anything? We do have a website. Everything is mentioned on the newsletter when you read it. And we have you it know. linked on our website. Yes. Too. So you can go to the website, and we have two videos linked. I really recommend you please watch those videos prayerfully, and I can tell you it really changed your perspective mm -hmm. being a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for Sam and Brittany and their, their ministry in Pakistan, and we are so excited to be a part of that. And God, is, we thank you for the things that you've blessed them with already. Uh, we pray for a, uh, an upcoming season of abundance and generosity that they've not yet seen. Um, we pray that you shift the hearts and minds of people towards this school project they need some money. Uh, they've got students in there. They've got probably a waiting list of people that want to be in there. And um, we just, we pray for uh, the kids that are in there and, and the, those that are to come. And we pray for the teachers and the leadership of the school, um, that their resolve is, is strengthened and that, uh, that the, the true nature of Jesus Christ and that gospel message comes through so that more and more people can be linked with you forever. God, we love you, and we thank you again for Sam and Brittany and for their family, and uh, we pray a special blessing over them today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.